Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 10, verses 40 through 42, and it can be found on page 11 in the New Testament in your pew Bible. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly, I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Susie. I invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. Speak to us. Move among us. Touch us. And be the presence, O Lord, of this service. May what we need to know, what we need to feel, what we need to become, all be authored by you. Through all of our efforts, to your glory, in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So up from the beginning of Matthew through Matthew 9, the disciples have been learning by observation what it was to be a disciple. Learning by just watching what Jesus did. These amazing things that Jesus did. Healing the sick. Coming and bringing hope to the hopeless. Engaging with the powerful with a message of truth that confounded them. It's an amazing thing to watch. And I know that as they watch Jesus, they, like you and I oftentimes who watch Jesus by reading scripture, go, I could never do that. That's amazing. That's beyond my comprehension. But in Matthew 10, the whole thing changes. In Matthew 10, beginning of the chapter, Jesus says, all right, we're shifting your internship. Now it's hands-on, baby. I'm giving you authority. I'm going to give you, as my 12 disciples, the ability to heal the sick. I'm going to give you the ability to proclaim truth and to speak a message of hope to the hopeless. I'm going to make you able to do everything that I have done in front of you. And you can imagine how they felt. Oh, I expect there was a little bit of being overwhelmed. But I bet there was a whole lot saying, man, we got power now. I'm pretty excited about this. And you knew that they were running around looking, praying they'd run into somebody who was just pitiful. So they could practice on them. Before he sent them out, and after he told them, you're going to be able to do these things, he also warned them. He said, it's going to be hard. Some are going to reject you. Some are going to be pretty cruel to you. Be careful. Power of mine in your hands often brings joy, but it can bring trouble, so be ready. Oh, and the other thing he said, you know these things that you're all excited about doing, these healings and so on? Let me be clear. And he tells them what uh, Susie just read to you. The kingdom of God, some of the best work that we do, happens when one person is just willing to give a cup of water to another person. Now you know that there was at least two disciples in the crowd who were saying, 
cup of water. How large does a cup have to be? How many times do you have to give, give the cup? Do you know those people? Yes, you do. Because there are a lot of us like that. We go, okay, we're supposed to give a cup of water in the name of Jesus. And when we do that, that's a holy and righteous thing. Let me think. Yes, I did that. I was in Atlanta back in 1979 at a conference. And I ran into this homeless person. And we begin to think about those moments randomly where maybe we were in a position to help somebody out and gave them the cup of water. Of course, it isn't about the amount of water. Nor is it even necessarily about it being a cup of water. A cup of water in the time of Jesus was not about giving someone just a drink. It was creating space to engage with them. It was symbolically, perhaps in our language today, we talk about going out for a cup of coffee. When we do that, it is rarely about the coffee. It's about taking time in our life to sit down with someone else and actually exhale and inhale the same air. It is to be willing to listen to each other, to tell our story and to hear their story told. To give a cup of water, Jesus is saying to the disciples, is to say, we are to be a people who are willing to go to anyone and everyone who is willing to sit with us to have a cup of water and to share our stories. And in that, to discover that we are respected, we are accepted, and we are brought into a relationship. It's not random. It's not when you have time. It's a mission. Christians are called to be cup bearers to the world. Intentionally seeking who in their life, who in their path, who around them are the people who need someone just to take the time to have a cup of something with them and to engage with them and to connect with them. This activity is the way of life. When's the last time you gave a cup of water? When's the last time someone took the time to sit with you? To pull you out of your hectic day, to pull you out of your depression, to pull you out of your grief, to pull you out of your stress and say, let's just take a break for a second. I just want to be with you. I don't really have agenda with you. I just want us to be together. And in that space of you and me, let's discover the peace that can exist there and, oh yes, the presence of God. When's the last time that happened for you? I've been thinking a lot about the giving of the cup of water, the, the willingness to identify people in our lives and in our world who need someone to say, I see your thirst and I want to just be with you until you're no longer thirsty again. I see your loneliness and, and I can't answer all of your issues, but I'm willing to at least be with you. Did you watch the news this past week about... The crisis now in the southwest of literally thousands of children without families crossing the border. Trying, sent, running, coming to try to have a better life. And the immigration authorities are now trying to figure out what to do. And in some cases, at least according to several news reports I saw, are giving those illegal aliens, I'm glad we can give them titles, who cross over into an imaginary line that God doesn't see, a ticket that says you will have a court appearance in the immigration court 
on such and such a date, and then they go drop them off on a street corner and tell them to show up on that date. I heard about one story of a, a, a girl named Anna. 17 years of age, she left her homeland in Honduras back in February because of the violence that was threatening her family. It had already killed her older brother. And the pressure of the gangs in her neighborhood wanted her to become a part of the gang, and she was probably going to have to choose either to do that or die. So she left family, she left home, 17 years of age. It cost $6,000 for her to have the privilege of being smuggled from Honduras up into Mexico with 11 others, three women, she being the youngest. They got all the way to the border of Mexico until she was cut from the herd, raped and assaulted repeatedly by a gang of men, and then released again, and then finally was able to walk into Texas all for the purpose of rejoining with her sister who lives somewhere in Miami. We have an immigration problem in our country. Annas are trying to get to a better life and to see their sisters. I get the fact that there are probably people who you don't want living next to you. There's probably that already living next to you in our own community. But we blanket a whole group of people suggesting they're a problem. They're illegals. They're aliens. Aliens. Kelsey, would you stand up, please? I already asked Kelsey this question this week. How old are you? She's Anna. She just happens to be someone you know. She happens to be the daughter of a family of our church. She's Anna. A face like hers is the immigration problem of this country. We are called to be people who are cut bearers. Thanks, Tara. Thank you. Now, I don't suggest that I know all the political answers and all the right ways to solve the problem, but I'm going to tell you this. Jesus is pretty clear. Our primary task as Christians are to be cut bearers. And so, when the church your mom goes to in Ypsilanti sees the issue, they don't get political. They find young men and women in the Ypsilanti area whose parents have been deported back home because they're illegal, but those kids were born here, so they get to stay without their families, of course. And so members of the church gather around those kids and become their godparents. Give them a cup of water. Now, of course, the reality is, is that if we as the church are called to be cupbearers, it addresses issues not only of international and national, it gets to be much closer to home, too. Who in your household right now have you not taken the time to have a cup of water with lately? Oh, you live with them. You fight with them. You try to organize your schedules with them. But when's the last time you sat down with them and exhaled with them. Just listened to them. Just took the time to love them and care about them with no other agenda and ask God to be in the presence of that to change and draw you all closer together. Cup bears to each other. This week, 180 to 200 kids are walking into our church. Some of them are our church kids. They know this place well. They know all the places to hide and hide and seek. They know how to do uh, 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 pew races under the pews. This is their place, and they're ready to be here. 
But also amongst those 180 to 200 kids, there are going to be kids who are coming who are strangers, who don't know this place. They're being brought by people, well, who think that they ought to be here. And some of them are being brought by mothers and fathers who don't know anyone else here in this room. After a successful week of vacation Bible school, which it will be, the question will also be asked, how many of us took the time to share cups of water with the strangers in our midst to make sure they were welcomed? That we took the time to get to know who they were and what they were about. So the children, when they leave, not only say, we had a great bounce house and a lot of sweets. We found people who loved us and cared about us. And that there were mothers who came who are bringing their kids primarily so they can find community. We'll find holy friends and find Christ in the midst. Cupbearers. Hopefully the children who come here will learn how to do that naturally. Children are willing to learn. When we moved to Chelsea from Ypsilanti, uh, our Elizabeth was in the third grade. And uh, we went to the first parent-teacher conference. And we, of course, anxious to know how our young Elizabeth was doing. And our young Elizabeth apparently was doing well, but she had stood out to her teacher because the teacher said, well, let me tell you about Elizabeth. And you know, parents, you brace for the next thing that's going to be said. They said, Elizabeth, when she comes to school, she goes and hangs up her coat and her stuff and puts her thing and gets things. And then she goes to the door and she stands there to greet everybody coming into the classroom, even though she's the new kid. And we both looked at each other because while we know Elizabeth sort of uh, is an extrovert, we were surprised at that. She said, well, you know what she's doing, the teacher said. I said, what is she doing? She said, she's mimicking what her parents do on Sunday after church. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the children of this church went out and mimicked what you do? Because you naturally provide cups of water to people. And seek people out to befriend and care for. All the big things we do. All the big programs we have going on. Come down fundamentally to this. Are we a people who are willing to share a cup of water with each other. And with everyone with intentionality and with time set aside for the sole purpose of doing it. In the book Amazing Grace, there's a story about a nun who is now in a, in a retirement community in an Alzheimer's unit. We talk about this nun. Every morning when she gets up, the caregiver comes into her room, and this nun asks to be wheeled down to the door coming into the Alzheimer's unit. And she sits there all day long in that wheelchair, greeting everybody who comes in the door. And the staff was wondering about that, and a visitor who knew the nun came in, and they were talking about this behavior, this nun. And the friend who knew her for many, many years said simply this way, Sister has always been this way. Wherever she was and whatever ministry she was a part of, she would welcome everyone into the place. And now, when she can no longer know or remember who or what she's welcoming people into. It is a part of her very being that she has to be there to welcome strangers. Who needs you to bear a cup to them? Who do you need to intentionally today and this week create space to just sit and listen and talk and discover God in your midst? When you answer that and when you do it, the scripture says, you will discover 
your reward.